Over the years, we have been greatly blessed here in our country to have the privilege of going to our nation's capital and walking right in to the different congressional and senate buildings and be able to have an audience with the staffers there and the privilege of signing up to be able to meet our congressmen or our senators if possible. Now, it's gotten a little harder in the last uh, couple of decades because all that's gone on, but still, uh, that is quite a privilege. But uh, you would not do that in Moscow. Uh, you would not do that in many other places around the world uh, because there is not that kind of accessibility based upon the freedom that we have here in our country. Well, as much as we might be awed by... Uh, different uh, political powers and people in position, I want to encourage you to know that you have the right to walk right in to the throne room of God if you know the Lord as Savior. And the nation of Israel would not fully be able to understand what we have as a, an enormous blessing because of how God was having to bring along the people and their understanding of who He was and is and what it would take for them, for their salvation. And, and so in the midst of all of that uh, development of the nation as a nation, as we have been looking at in Exodus, we find on several occasions the desire of God to cause His people to draw nigh. And as we've looked at chapters 19 uh, on, we have seen the people of God surrounding Mount Sinai, only able to go so far, but they're able to see the splendor of God's glory to some extent. And of course, the loud trumpet sound, which I believe uh, in many ways is the, potentially the voice of God. You see that in Revelation. But that, that overpowering sound that Hebrews talks about how Moses quaked himself uh, at that, and the lightning and the earthquake and all, just to give the people an understanding of the greatness of their God, but also this great God wanted them to, to come close, and He also wanted to have a covenant with them. And we're going to look at this privileged position that God wanted them to understand uh, that they had, but I want us, before we go to chapter 24 is where we're going to end up, if you'll go back and we're, we're going to review uh, a little earlier the, uh, the covenant that we mentioned several times before we got into the giving of the Ten Commandments. So Exodus chapter 19, and let me just reread those verses because this is all in the same context here. Exodus chapter 19, and we'll start with verse 3. And Moses went up unto God, unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And he did that. And in verse 8, the people uh, said that we will keep the covenant. And then we have the giving of the Ten Commandments. 
as they were to sanctify themselves, they washed their clothes, they came to the edge of Mount Sinai, they could go no further, and, and Moses brings down the Ten Commandments that we looked at extensively in chapter 20, and then looked also at uh, some of the response that needed to be to that. Now, in chapters 21 to 24, we have uh, a number of, of, of laws and principles that are given uh, that elaborate on the Decalogue and the, and the implications for the nation. So I'm just going to list these here. We're not going to be looking at them particularly, but we need to understand this context. Uh, statutes concerning worship in chapter 20. Statutes concerning the care of servants in chapter 21. Statutes of capital offenses in uh, chapter 21. Also in chapter 21, statutes concerning physical injury and culpable neglect. Chapter 22, statutes concerning thieves. Also in that chapter, uh, concerning property damage and safe uh, deposits and borrowing and sexual seduction and idolatrous uh, uh, customs. And also in chapter 22, concerning the care of the needy and then concerning reverence. And so we have then picked up in chapter 24 uh, the, uh, this matter of the covenant and the fact that God wanted the people of Israel to understand that they were His nation, His people, and He wanted them to have a relationship with Him. Now again, you've got to understand, the people of Israel have been in Egypt they had that pagan mentality. They knew they were of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jehovah God had been uh, their God, but uh, they had been swept up into all of the typical worldly thinking of that, uh, that empire. And then they are taken out, and they see the, first of all, they see the plagues, un just enormous displays of God's power. And then the fact that the Red Sea opened up and the most, uh, the mightiest army in the world was swallowed up there that night there at the Red Sea. And then they saw miracles in the providing of water, uh, the manna, and just one thing after the other. And now they're standing at Mount Sinai and they're having a mountain shaking and there's fire and there's smoke and all of that's going on and they hear the loud trumpet sound and we find that this great God wanted not only to have them as His people, but He wanted them to draw nigh. Folks, as we look at the enormity of our God on Sunday mornings, the I Am, we need to know Him and we need to join Him. We need to remind ourselves over and over, it's an amazing thing that He wants to fellowship with you right now. He wants to fellowship with you tonight. He wants to meet with you in the morning. Isn't that a wonderful thing? This great and mighty God. But to these people, this was an amazing thing. They had seen the cloudy pillar and the fiery uh, pill, uh, the fi uh, cloud there uh, over the tent of meeting uh, and, or, and, and next to it that had led them. And so they knew the greatness of God, but God wanted them to realize that He wanted to reveal Himself spiritually to them 
and that he wanted them to, to know like David would know and like Abraham knew. He spoke to the Lord face to face as with a friend and Moses was going to have that kind of relationship. He wanted that relationship with his people. I love Robert Murray McShane's famous statement, if I could hear crying, Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. He ever liveth to make intercession. But I want to remind you, he's here tonight. And he is ever living uh, to make intercession for each one of us. This is our God. We live in this dispensation. And we're going to celebrate in a few minutes the Lord's table. And I think you're going to see the connection between how God teaches the people here and how uh, it was all fulfilled in the New Testament. We're only going to be able to touch on this, but if you'll follow me here in chapter 24, we'll give the high points here in this chapter. Surrender is needed to keep the covenant faithfully. Uh, we read starting in verse 1, And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, the seventy and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice. And they said, All the words which the Lord hath said we will do. Now, this was the covenant, and so he had, uh, uh, he was giving this to the people and for them to understand uh, what God had expected of them, and, and so he explained, it reminds me of what Ezra did in Nehemiah 8.8, 8. so they read in the book of the law distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And so he's clarifying to them what God expected of them if they were going to be God's people. Again, we skipped over chapters 21 to 23, which go into detail um, based upon the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And he very clearly promises back in chapter 23 that if they will keep the covenant, that he will give them victory over their enemies. By the way, did you know that Israel never had to have one defeat? Every defeat was their own fault that He would provide for their needs, that He would protect their health, and that He would give them a full inheritance. And uh, it's an amazing thing. That's how wonderful the care of God was promised to be for the people. And so the book of the covenant was received. I'm going quickly here. But they were excited. And they, you know, that's a pretty good deal, by the way. Can you imagine a country knowing that every time they fought, they'd always win? <laughs> and that you really didn't need to have any hospitals because uh, their health would be maintained if they would keep the covenant. And uh, they, so they received it uh, very quickly. They were excited. And, uh, but the problem was in their own strength, they promised to keep the covenant. <clears throat> now, folks, let me just stop here. How many times do we look at the benefits for serving the Lord and make a decision to really serve the Lord and then fail. Many times it's because we have a very selfish aspect. By the way, living for Christ is a wonderful thing. And God does meet our needs. And God does miracles. 
But there's far more to it than that. And that if we look at the Christian life only selfishly, and our primary motivation isn't the glory of God and isn't fulfilling His mission, then we're going to be self-centered and we will fail. And unfortunately, I believe that there was a very self-perspective that was part of the, uh, their desire to keep the covenant. And, uh, and it, they got impatient. They didn't like the idea of having to battle. They didn't like the idea of maybe going through the desert. They didn't like the idea of going up against the giants. They got impatient. And, uh, and so uh, they were going to fail pretty quickly. We're going to see in a minute, Moses was going to go up 40 days up onto Mount Sinai. What happened during the 40 days? And we'll be looking at it. The golden calf. Idolatry. Uh, complaining. Murmuring. They didn't get everything they wanted right away. Folks, we need to learn to wait on the Lord. He will always take care of us. Do not live the Christian life for the benefits. Now the benefits are glorious. But that can't be our motivation. We live the Christian life for His glory and His glory alone. He can do with us what He wants to do. And we can trust that what He does with us is perfect and is right. Uh, Peter, of course, he was so strong. You're the, uh, um, uh, you are the great God. Uh, you're Christ, the Son of the living God. And he showed great faith at times. And yet there was obviously a very selfish perspective that he would gain something from this and that the kingdom, he would have a high position. And so when it came time for him to stand with Jesus, he miserably failed. He made a covenant with the Lord that he would never deny him, and he denied him. Folks, without the power of God, we cannot do what we ought to do. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. I'm sure that what was done there in verse 3 came back over them a few times as they uh, had some very difficult time. Well, this being able to come into the presence of God and, and to draw nigh to Him. Secondly, the sacrifice was commanded that makes the covenant possible. And this, of course, all is pointing toward the finished work of Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant, there it is, and read in the audience of all the people. And they said, all that the Lord hath said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord hath made with you concerning all of these words. Now, covenants were made often with the shedding of blood, but this, of course, points to the fact that God was making a covenant with Israel based upon the blood being shed for the atonement of their sins and that the only way they could be blessed is for them to, to admit 
their need for a Savior, a need for God to work and to follow the sacrificial system that was going to be set up as Moses received the entire ceremonial law from the Lord there on Mount Sinai. And it's important for us to understand that nothing has changed. No one, no one can approach God without the blood. The only reason that we're going to see what occurs in the latter part of this chapter is because the blood was shed. There has to be a sacrifice. Without the uh, shedding of blood, there is no remission. It is a picture of our total unworthiness, of the, of the full judgment that we need, uh, that we deserve, and the death of an animal, and the blood that is uh, spilt and is put as a sacrifice is the clear reminder that without the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ and His bloodshed, we have no hope. There is no way to approach unto God. And so, friend, if you're here and do not know the Lord as Savior, it's only through the blood of Christ that you will be saved. But believers, we need to understand that the precious privilege we have of fellowshipping with the Lord comes at great price. And when we tread on the blood of Christ by willfully and presumptuously sinning, you can mark it down. You, uh, you are saved. You will spend eternity, but you'll not be enjoying fellowship with God. You cannot take the sacrifice of, of Christ uh, in a light fashion. Friends, anytime you sin, it ought to break your heart. If we confess our sins, if we say the same thing as God says about our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's based on the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he was teaching here, the Lord was through Moses, that the only way they would keep the law, the only way they could keep the covenant, the only way they could come into the presence of God was, able, was because of the blood that was shed. And uh, it's, it's a very important picture for us to see. And, um, and folks, the law showed the need and the whole sacrificial system pointed toward Christ. But folks, we live on the other side of the cross. If anybody ought to understand, it ought to be us. And again, the law still is a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ so that we can, based upon what Christ did, uh, have wonderful victory in our lives. See, Father, said a little boy who was walking uh, with his father by the bridge, they're knocking the props away from under the bridge. What are they doing that for? Won't the bridge fall? They're knocking them away, said the, the father, that the timbers may rest more firmly upon the stone piers which have now been constructed and are finished. My friends, the props of the law have been knocked out, and we are on the pillar of the finished work of the Son of the living God. And uh, that is a glorious thing. But that all occurred through His shed blood. The blood of Christ creates the new covenant that we have. Jeremiah 31, 31 speaks of the new covenant He was making with Israel and all of us. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers on the, the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, speaking of this, which my covenant they break 
although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Hallelujah. The law is written on your heart. Uh, We uh, are part of the new covenant and anyone that will trust the Lord, and Israel of course, uh, has that great potential when they trust the Lord based upon uh, uh, the Lord Jesus and what He did. And we need to uh, just be so thankful. Ephesians 1.6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So that's why tonight... I'm going to say, I'll quote 1 Corinthians um, chapter 11, but Luke 22:20. 20, Likewise also the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new testament. Oftentimes I'll say what? The new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. My, fo- my friends, the blood of Christ is a precious matter. Now remember, this is a picture. You're not going to be able to see and experience the presence of God without the shedding of blood is what he is showing here. Friends, we're saved. We can go boldly to the throne of grace, but we must understand we must take the sacrifice of Christ seriously. Read Hebrews. And that's why we must live for the Lord. All right, number three, just quickly here, sanction that is provided that makes the covenant official. I think this is an amazing thing here. Look with me at verse 9. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in its clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. Now that, folks, when you think of Isaiah 6, when you think of other times, when you look at Daniel, do you realize what that just said? Those 70 elders, Nadab and Abihu of all people, (laughs) and uh, Aaron and Moses, saw a display of the glory of God, and they were protected. God's hand was not on them. And it's the, they saw what would just be the, it's used the idea of feet, but in other words, it's not the full glory of the Father. I mean, obviously, they would be gone. But they saw a touch. In fact, you notice the vagueness of it to some extent. It's, it's under his feet as we're, what they saw was a paved work of sapphire stone, and it's as though the body of heaven was there. Now, I can't fully explain that. And they says they saw God. They spiritually and even somewhat physically here had the privilege of experiencing a manifestation of God. On behalf of the people, I want you to get this, on the behalf of the Israelites and on the behalf of us who live in this dispensation, God shows us that through the blood 
we're going to go to heaven. Through the blood, we're going to be fellowshipping with God. And through the blood, we can have fellowship spiritually with Him now that's as glorious as it will be when we get to heaven. This was just a taste. And I want you to notice God's hand did not destroy them because of Jesus, His blood, but also they ate and drank. They fellowshiped with God. Now, we don't have the details. It was too sacred probably to even talk about. But God revealed part of His glory there. And He wanted the people to know He meant business. And uh, He wants us to know in part the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. In other words, through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God working, I'm telling you there are times in which you can spiritually see and experience the, the glory of God. We are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I've often mentioned how I've been with saints of the Lord and I saw a glimpse of the glory of God. I remember my father just days before he died. Uh, there, was a, there was something very real about the glory of God. And uh, I have uh, seen it as I preached here and looked out over this audience. The very transformation into his glory. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And we ought to so desire to know him that that we show forth His glory, we won't, we won't even know that we are. But don't people need to see the glorious God that we serve? And doesn't our neighborhood need to see uh, that glory of God? We need to, in our very face, as 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, uh, is the very face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Folks, we're in desperate need of people that know how to walk with God. Listen, you get into the inner sanctum, you believe that the sacrifice of prayer is worth it, you get to know the heart of your God, uh, the, the glory of God then begins to be seen. You won't even know it. But folks, we need that far more. That's why secularism is killing us. That's why churches all across America don't have much hope. They don't see God. And we can see Him spiritually in the lives of people who know Him and walk with Him and through the blood are able to enter into the very throne room of God Folks, we're so concerned about doing things for God, and we should by faith. But folks, we need to know Him. And we need to, to show forth His glory. And it's all possible because of the blood. This is amazing, folks. I don't, I fully, I don't fully understand it. I'll, every time I read it, I'm perplexed. It doesn't match any of the other times God's revealed. God is showing us what the possibility is. By the way, when Nadab and Abihu offered the, fall, the strange fire, God had no patience with them. They had been there. You say, wow, he took them away just like that. Well, um, they had had a privilege, a very high privilege. And by the way, some other elders got taken out too. 
It's a privilege for us. I don't know how God puts up with us when we are so blessed by his goodness and then we don't live for him as we ought. But then the thing, as I've already alluded to, God fellowships with them. Uh, they ate and drank. I, I don't know exactly what happened. But they were having fellowship with God. There was a display of God. He was trying to teach them, I mean business, you're my people. Church at Laodicea, who was knocking? Jesus. He says, I want to be let in. Because what did he want to do? What does he want to do? Sup with us. Fellowship with us. Have dinner with us spiritually, so to speak. That's, that's the desire of our God. The Lord's Supper. Folks, that's why I'm always so burdened. Every time we celebrate the table of the Lord, His presence is with us. And if our hearts would be open, we're fellowshipping with the remember, we're on the basis of His broken body and His shed blood. And if we have proper reverence and right approach, and remember no grace is given because of this, but God's working in our hearts so that we understand what He's done for us. If we approach this right, I'm telling you, God will fellowship with us as a church and He fellowships with us individually. That's why I mentioned that there's some wonderful pictures here, the new covenant and the matter of uh, his uh, fellowshipping with us. And Spurgeon makes it very clear, where we cannot enjoy God's uh, company, we will not go. Our motto is, with God anywhere, without God nowhere. Friends, if God can't fellowship with you where you're going, don't go. Can He fellowship with you in your home with that TV turned on? I'm going to take up where Dr. Jim left off <laughs> last week. <laughs> uh, we go places, do things, and we wonder why it's so dry, why God seems so far away. It's not God's fault. He's ready. He's ready to fellowship with us. And then one final thought. That's my main emphasis there. But let me just read the remainder of the um, uh, chapter here, verse 12 servanthood that makes the covenant a reality. And the Lord said unto Moses, come up to me unto the mount and be there and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua and Moses went up into the mount of God. Now God's going to give him much more. Now he has revealed that he wants to draw his people close and he's going to now uh, give all the different ceremonial civil law that will protect the people and teach them about all that Christ would do and all about his nature. And uh, so Moses went up into the mount, a cloud covered the mount, and the glory of the Lord, um, I'm sorry, let me go back to uh, verse 14. And he said unto the elders, tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you, and behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man have matters to do, let him come unto them. 
And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount, and the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud, and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud. Can you imagine walking into that? And got him unto the mount, and Moses was in the mount forty days and forty nights. But while that was going on, that glorious display, these seventy elders were to be down there with the leadership of Aaron and Hur, and for forty days, this group, larger than the entire metro Milwaukee area, they were to serve and take care of. Why? It was important for them to serve so that the covenant could be clarified and God could give everything. Did Aaron accomplish the job? No. I want you to understand why God dealt like he did with the people of Israel. Do you not see in chapter 24 the love of God, his mercy, his a deep desire to have a relationship. And he did everything possible to make it very real. And then Aaron led them into idolatry. Tragic, tragic thing. In sight of Sinai with the cloud of glory on top of it. Folks, it's amazing when we get self-centered after God is so gracious and he's making himself so real, how we can turn and go another way. My friends, to whom much is given, much is required. And so I trust that you'll see here the, uh, just the sweet um, aspect of God's love for us. And Moses became an intercessor. I won't take the time now to go into that, for we're going to see that a little bit later. He intercedes for the people, and because of him, the nation was saved. But God wants to reveal himself to us. We need to take what he's done for us very seriously and rejoice in it. And can I say, from a non-selfish standpoint, take advantage of it. And the greatest thing in the world is to sup, to have supper with our God.